Okay, welcome to its class 11 of Journey to the Selfless Self. Um, and it's really the, the final class of the second section of this series, uh, which is called Being Jewish. The first five classes were called Being Human. Then we had a, a review. And then these. this is the final one of these five classes. This is called Being Jewish. Um, and then we'll have a review. It's entitled The Baal Shem Tov and the Final Revelation. So the question really is that I want, I, we're going to brainstorm this for a couple of minutes. What is Hasidus? What was it that the Baal Shem Tov, everyone knows the Baal Shem Tov, yeah? What was it that he brought to the world? Was it something really, what was it? When when we say, what does it mean, Hasidus, what springs to mind? Whatever, whatever you say, whether it's like, you know, white socks or whatever it is. Can we brainstorm this a little bit? I was actually just listening to a, a, a class by Rabbi Chase Taub. Wow. So he said Hasidus is getting to the essence of something. <laughs> okay, so we're finished. Done. Okay. <laughs> That really is what we're going to describe Hasidus as, essence. But Kozman, we speak about, hi, welcome. You're, we're, just, we're just asking the question, what does it mean, Hasidus? So I actually typed into the chat box, what would you give me? What would be the kind of things you would expect to hear if you were to ask Jews, what does it mean, Hasidus? So you you just cut to the chase completely, but the, the kinds of things that people would meant that to the side, what would you what what other things would you say? What could you imagine people saying is Hasidus? A more spiritual approach. Yeah, absolutely. Um, an emphasis on simcha, an emphasis on prayer, minhagim, um, the idea of the tzaddik. A, a deeper connection to the tzaddikim, um, learning like deeper, more kind of mystical elements of the Torah, um, investing more energy into the mitzvahs, uh, sorry, more energy into the preparation for the mitzvahs. Um, um, there's also the idea of the Baal Shem Tov, kind of one of the things that he came to kind of remedy, remedy so to speak, was Yiddishkeit had become very kind of elitist, in in you know in the 1700s the early 1700s late 1600s it felt like Yiddishkeit had become kind of like there was like the reserve of the is that I don't know if that's like they're saying it the reserve of either way that it it, it was shy only to the big town of the Chachamim and whatever but the the Hamon Am the general people it felt like they didn't really have much of a connection and they couldn't they didn't know much. And what was there, you know, what was it really worth? So the Baal Shem Tov, one of the things he did was he came to show that Yiddishkeit is shaykh to every single Jew. And it's not shaykh more to Revel Yashiv than it is to you and me, um, or even to Moshe Rabbeinu than it is to you and me. Yiddishkeit is available to all of us, every single Jew. That was another thing the Baal Shem Tov came to tell us. And the most basic, well, what is it? What's the basic idea when we talk about in the Gomorrah of the Chosid. Anyone knows what the, the, the most simple, if you were to ask like, you know, somebody who learns Masili Shasharim or a, a straight Yeshivish guy, what does it really mean, a Chosid, the way the Gomorrah tells us? Thank you, perfect. Which means, well, they translate it as going beyond the letter of the law, yeah? But really, it doesn't translate like that at all. Lifnim Mishurus Din, how would you translate that accurately? It's not like going beyond, it's going within. Lifnim, within the line of the law, not outside the line of the law, like going beyond the letter of the law is how they translate it. But Lifnim Mishurus Din retranslates as going inside the law. Yeah? So it's Abramov, yeah? Mrs. Abramov, she, she nailed it. The what is Hasidus? And we could we could call it one essence. The Lubavitcher Rebbe called it Yechida, 
which is uh, for us it's not that helpful because we don't really know what that means uh, but we could call it essence and that also isn't very helpful but we're going to unpack that as well to show and work out what that means um but let let me just tell you something quickly the idea of gravity if you go online and type in what is gravity you'll see it will immediately start saying well um gravity is like um masses pulling each other pulling things to each toward each other or the warping of space time whatever the point is you will be told lots of ways of how gravity expresses itself but you will not get told what gravity is because no one really knows what gravity is. And that's why it was that Einstein came along, you know, 100 years ago and completely flipped on his head what Newton had said. Newton, whatever, whatever we're not going to get into the details, not that I really understand them. But Newton described gravity as X. And Einstein said, that that's good and it's true to a certain level, but really it's Y. So according to Newton's understanding of gravity, you could put a man on the moon, but you wouldn't be able to have GPS systems according to Newton's gravity. You would need to go to Einsteinian rules of uh, the understanding of gravity to be able to have things like uh, uh, GPSs. Whereas Newton was able to, with his understanding of gravity, you could put man on the moon. Why am I talking about this? Because Einstein came along and completely said, no, no, no. What you said was really good, but that it's not like that at all. It's a completely different thing. How can you have said that? It's because no one really knows what gravity actually is. We just know what it does or how it looks, how it expresses itself. And that's really the Indian of Hasidus. To, to call Hasidus essence is great, but it's not really very helpful. But once we go through all the different ways that Hasidus expresses itself, uh, we will see, Bezrat Hashem, what that really means. So we're going to see, just like we see gravity express itself all over the place. You look at the car, there's gravity working. The fact that your all your internal organs aren't jiggling around and doing funny stuff, that's gravity as well. Yeah, the fact that the sun is where it is, that's gravity. The fact that you can lean on your table, that's gravity. You see gravity everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Yeah, but you never really know what it is. But if you keep looking at all the different ways it expresses itself, then you will actually come to a, a kind of abstract conceptual understanding of it, okay? So... Hasidus, like we said, is essence. We could even say a little bit more. We could say it's like identification with essence and disidentification from name, which is not essence. Now, just to go back to class, I can't remember which class, maybe class three or four or something. I'm not sure. Remember, we spoke about the difference between name and essence. Does anyone remember the the image that we gave that helps us understand it clearly? Yeah, the eye. Perfect. So the eye is the most beautiful diagram to understand clearly the concept of essence and name. Okay, etsem and shame, essence and name. The essence is the person. The shame is everything about the person. That's the expression. That's how the person expresses themselves. So the name can be all kinds of, you know, part of your name would be your personality, would be your physiological mutts of, would be your house and your car, your kids, um, your clothes, your uh, your emotions, etc. All your intellect, all of these things are expressions of who you are. You have all of them. You have intellect. You have emotions. You have a house. You have a husband. You have you have a name, but you're not your name. The you is the one who has. Everyone's with me. We discussed this at length. Yeah, everyone's familiar with the ideas. Yeah, I can't see Mrs. Silburn 
Mrs. Rocker, whatever, you you familiar with what we're talking about? Yes. Okay. Um, so Hasidus is really the identification with, see, to say that part of yourself is, is incorrect. It's not a part of yourself. It's you. So you're not relating to a part of yourself. Anything to do with your name, yeah, that's relating to something that you have, a part of you. Hasidus isn't about relating to a part of you. It's about being you, mamush. And one of the ways we do that is getting very clear on disidentifying with all the stuff about us. Like that doesn't mean that you become this, you know, this homogenous robot. We've said that many times. It means that it's just not you. I have my money. I have my house. I have my family. And I can be intimately bound up with that stuff. That's fine. But just remember that's stuff that you have. That's not the you. Hasidus is getting back to the you. And even deeper than that, and I don't know if it's two separate things. It's getting to Hashem as his essence, not relating to anything that he has or anything that he does or anything that he creates, but relating to him himself, Mamush. Just like there's the you, and a person could lose Chazvashal, they could lose everything, literally. They'd even lose their mind and they'd still be them. That's that's that essential point that's unchanging. It's the same as when you were five as it is when you're right now and as you will be when you're 80. You might not be able to talk the same way or laugh the same way, or but it's the same. It's the same. Everything that happens to you as you get older is just the name changes, but the, it's just the essence expresses itself more and more. Have you ever noticed when you look into your baby's eyes that the eyes are like the first few weeks, they're like kind of like a funny kind of graphite color. And then they, then they kind of normalize and they become their eyes. It might change the color a little bit, yeah, later on. Um, but have you noticed that the child's eyes are the same size as your eyes? You ever noticed that? That their their sockets are much smaller, so the pupil like fits. So there, it's just like a the pupils, but the the eyes are the same size. You you know what I'm talking about? Their eyes are literally from when they're born. Their eyes are the same size as our eyes. Just the sockets get bigger, so you see more white. But when they're very small, basically their whole eye socket is just filled with the pupil and the iris. Yeah? That's the opposite of the ears. If you notice, it's a funny thing to say. If you notice, old people have got bigger ears. You notice such a thing? Yeah? Because your ears grow your whole life. Yeah? Which is an interesting idea. Because... Listening, hearing is more attached in a sense to, to the growth of the person, the understanding, whereas the eye is what you see, like a kid sees the same thing as what you see and, 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 and experiences it in the same way. That's a side point. Anyway, so now the whole thing is really expressed in the Baal Shem Tov's name. Baal Shem What's we? I mean, we've just discussed what name means. Can we? Do you guys remember what the how we translate the word toiv? Don't say good. Do you remember? We'll go back right to the beginning. What we discussed. What's the definition of good? The intention behind it. Something. Yeah, but what? What? What's the? What? What? What's the intention? A person who's good is selfless. Selfless. Yeah. And we could translate that. And remember, that doesn't mean 
I know, Mrs. Silver, you don't like that because of all the things about. But let, let's we'll go with it because it doesn't mean losing your individuality in any way whatsoever, and it doesn't mean becoming a doormat in any way whatsoever. But there's a a better word that we can translate selfless as, and the word's transparent. That's a really helpful. That's a really helpful um, translation for the word toiv. So the Baal Shem Tov, Yisrael Baal Shem Tov, his name was transparent to him. You hear that? You understand the, the profundity of that idea? Meaning like, see, when we look at all the stuff that we have, how much does our essence shine through? It will be to varying degrees. It depends. It depends how, um, what's the word? Not alternative. Um, our motives. It depends how, how, how ulterior our motives are. The more ulterior our motives are, the more our name conceals our essence. The more pure our motives are, the more our name reveals our essence. So really, if you want to go really deep and understand on the most profound level, Hasidus is getting to Lishma. That's what Hasidus is. Now we need to define what it means, Lishma. But that's really what Hasidus is. I don't did you guys look at my website, the B'nai Aliyah website? Yeah. The catchphrase is it. The, the, the name of the organization is B'nai Aliyah. And underneath it says, helping Yidden serve Hashem Lishma. That's really, and the, the word B'nai Aliyah is really what we're talking about. When we're talking about Hasidus, we are not talking about what we call Hasidim in this generation, Bichlau. Chlau or Klau. Mamash. Maybe there are some Hasidim who are Hasidim, but th it's not about the beard, it's not about the pears, nothing about the strimal, it's not about watching the Rebbe eat chicken soup, it's not about the socks, it's not about Minhagim, it's not about the community, it's not about the... Vachule, vachule. It's really nothing to do with that. In fact, in many ways, it's punt for care at the opposite, mamush. When a person becomes caught up in a community and that becomes his, identi his identity, he really missed it. That's the opposite of Hasidus. That doesn't mean you can't be a part of a community and really strong with the community. But the minute you define yourself by the community, and that's a real danger of the, the big Hasiduses or any Hasidus in this generation, that is not Hasidus. Yeah. Hasidus is the identification with the essence. And you can't really talk about that. And the funny thing is, once you identify with your essence, because your essence is the same as everybody else's essence, you're like one with everyone. That's like on a Friday night. I've said this to you before. You should gay when you, if you bench your children, yeah, look deeply into their eyes. Make them, make them look into your eyes. Spend that, you know, 15 seconds, however long it takes to say the brocha, and gaze deeply into their eyes. And the black of their eye is their essence. And you will see your reflection in the black of their eye. You will see yourself in the black of their eye. And that's that's what essence is. Our essence is all one. Every yid is of the same essence. That's that's the segula fever. Is relating to yourself essentially. Not relating to anything about yourself. Because if you start relating to things about yourself, then you'll be able to relate to things about that person. But then there's going to be things about that person that aren't the same and you won't be able to relate to them. Okay, so the Baal Shem Tov was the man who had perfected the name. His name was Toiv. His name was completely, pardon me, was completely transparent to him. In the Gemara, they call that Toicha Kaboiroi. His insides and his outsides were absolutely aligned with one another. I would imagine that if you had saw the Baal Shem Tov, you would just start to cry. I, I, that's what I would think would happen. 
you wouldn't turn around to your friends and say, wow, you can't imagine like he gets up at this time in the morning and he fasts every, and this, you would, you would just cry. That's what, that's what seeing essence, true essence does. We see it so rarely, but we do see it. And we'll talk about that. Okay. They all remember the definition of gullus of, of exile. Definition of exile is a disconnect between essence and expression, meaning that you're not able to express yourself in the way that you need to express yourself. That's called exile. That's gullus. Gaula, on the other hand, is when your expression and your essence are aligned with each other completely. That's the ultimate gaula. So in this, in this Matzav, the Rebbeinu Shlomim is in Gullus. There's called it's called Gullus Ashchina. Yeah, why? Because the world isn't running itself according to Torah and Mitzvahs. That's all Hashem wants: Torah and Mitzvahs. So Kolzman, the world is not is not completely bound up in Torah and Mitzvahs. Hashem's not being able to express himself. It's like this world's like his body, so to speak. It's like a person like you know with like Alzheimer's or some Parkinson's who can't, they don't have Shlita over their body. Imagine the frustration when like sometimes I get like a spasm in this finger and I can't move it. Yeah, and it's like weird. It's like very, you know, you can't move a, a limb or like whatever it is. Like I remember my wife telling me when she had an epidural for one of the children, she was like trying to like move her legs to like prove the doctors wrong and she just couldn't do it. And she was talking about the frustration with that. You probably know what I'm talking about. So that that idea of that disconnect between you and, and how you express yourself, that's called gullus. And when they're the same, that's called gul. And that's why we say, what do we say at the end of, of Elenu? What are the final words of Elenu in the Navi? When he and his name is one. That's exactly the Indian that we're talking about. That is... That is Chassidus. Again, I've met I've met a lot of Litvish Yidden who are much more Hasidic than Hasidish Yidden. It's got nothing to do with being called Litvish or Hasidish. Nothing. Literally nothing. And in fact, in many cases, it's it's the opposite, literally. Okay, so just to it's Hasidus is for everyone. Hasidus is the Baal Shem Tov was. Like Moshe Rabbeinu is for all the Yidden, the Baal Shem Tov is for all the Yidden as well. It's it's a it's it's about expression. It's about being who you are, acting who you are. It's about your name becoming transparent to who you are. Okay, so we've got five Madragas of the heart. This is a whole shear in itself. But I'm, we're going to say it quite quickly. Um, and we'll, we should understand it from this really deeply as well, Tashem. Okay, this is worth writing down. We have what's called Timtumalev, which means the clogged heart or the blocked heart. Then the next Madrega is called Shvirasalev, which means the broken heart. Then we have Marirasalev, which means bitterness of heart. Then we have Psichasalev, which means openness of heart. Could also call that simcha, and I'm going to leave the final one out. The final one's called tuvlevav, good goodness of heart. We'll talk about that. That's the point we're trying to get to. Tintumalev is when you've become identified with shtuyot, when you've become identified with the things of this world, deeply identified, entrenched. Yeah, you, you, have you seen? Um, imagine a guy who's got a car, like a younger guy who's just bought this new car and that, that it's like his life. Every time you hear it, he's just, all he does is talk about it. If anything happened to it, he would be, it would be a tragedy, yeah? That guy's strongly identified with his car. Yeah, that's not the Seder. So that's called Tim Tumalev. That That's a state where the heart is just not available to emotion. It's it, You could call it depression, or you could call it like they call it atzvus, um, whatever you call it. But it's it it causes 
this identification with things of this world causes a hardening of the heart, so to speak. And it means that you are unavailable uh, emotionally. It, it, it blocks the free flow of emotion. Now, if you're strongly identified with something, let's talk about actually, this is a, a painful thing to speak about, but it really, it helps us understand the idea. It's a very deep idea. It's a very, very hailing idea. The idea is slave. What does it mean brokenheartedness? Brokenheartedness means that an identity that you had just got smashed. And it's really hard to deal with. It's the most unnerving place to be. So, for example, uh, a young child, uh, you know, let's say a, a seven or eight year old child, a 10 year old child or a 12, 13 year old child whose parents get divorced. And it wasn't like crazy friction in the house. They managed to like cover it up quite well. And it wasn't like kind of, they, they bound up in their, they, they're identified with their, with their parents, with their relationship, their mom and dad. And now all of a sudden the, the unit of mom and dad gets separated. They, that's called brokenheartedness or even worse, a young child losing a, a, a child, losing a parent, chaz v'shalom, where their identity was bound up in their parent. And then that parent is taken away. That's called Shreya Saleh. That's like the most profound example of Shreya Saleh. A much less profound example of Shreya Saleh would be, um, would be a guy who has always thought of himself. You know, I'll give you a good example. Being a photographer, yeah? If you're a top photographer and then someone comes along who's an objectively better photographer than you, that is a Shreya. That is a sure slave. That right. breaks your heart. You just identified as being the best photographer. And now there's this other guy who's just better than you. Well, you're not the best photographer anymore. You hear the feeling that could uh, that could engender. Yeah, anything that you think you're it, and then you see for some reason that you're not it. Yeah, that's called a shvira. That now that now what where does that leave you? That leaves you in this place of like, like no man's land, like, like you're, you're definitionless. You're without definition. You thought you were a good mother, yeah? And then you did something that was not Poseidon. Well, you're not a bad mother because you've been a good mother for the past 20 years, but you can't call yourself a good mother because what you just did was terrible. So what are you? I, I don't know. That's called Shreya Saleh. You're nowhere. You're nowhere. It's like when you take a seed, yeah, and you plant it in the ground and the brown kind of creeper, the brown shell of the seed disintegrates. And now it's free to, but it's at that point, it's very, very, very vulnerable. Very vulnerable indeed, yeah? That's Shreya Salev. When your kids are chutzpah dick to you or your kids do something that's not Beseda, yeah, that or they do something out of character that you're very, that's a shvira. I don't know where I, I thought they were like this, but they're not, you understand? It's a reset. Yeah. Now at that stage, you're available now to realign yourself with what, with whatever you want, basically. That's like Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a, a time of shvira salave. So you come out of Yom Kippur, you go straight into your sukkah, and you now become a tzaddik. That's the goal. You you reset your, I'm not what I used to be. I don't know what I am. Quick, let's get into the sukkah and realign ourselves. Marira Saleh, bitterness of heart, if we're zoicha to get there. A lot of people with, with Shreya Saleh, it becomes too scary, and they revert back to Timta Malev. The default thing, when somebody goes into a shvira, is they immediately start to look for the next thing to identify with so they can go back to Tintum, which is the default setting of most human beings. But if you're, if you're Zoyche, yeah, you can get to Maria Saleh. Maria Saleh, bitterness of heart, is a very positive state. Well, it sounds a bit negative. Bitterness of heart is basically the idea of the resolve to change. It's like, okay, I thought I was the best mum in the world. Yeah, that's the Tim Tim. Something happens. 
and I'm definitely not the best mum in the world. Okay, Shvira. Now, I am going to become the best mum in the world. Yeah, not from a guy with a dicker point of view, but, but that 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 kind of like enough. This is we. I'm not playing around anymore. Let let's get back on. Let's get back in the game. Let's do. Let's let's get back on the horse. Let's get back on the bicycle. Let's let's do this. That's Marua Salave. So the the lave is alive, but it's it's a bit painful because you're not it and you want to be it and you're gonna you are gonna be it. But right now it's just a recommitment. That's why it's called bitterness of heart. It's it's a, like a like tangy, you know, like a a sour kind of feeling in the mouth, like like sour sticks. Yeah, that kind of that resolve to 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 take it to go forward, and then. If you're Zoycha, you get to, that's called Psich Salev. The next stage is Simcha. Psich Salev means the heart is free-flowing with emotion, and that is the state necessary to accomplish anything of value. That's called Simcha. That's the stages of the heart. But there's a final fifth stage, which is Chasidus, which is called Tuvlevav. Anybody knows a little bit about Dikduk? Little bit, you remember a bit. You probably know more than uh, more than all the men around your area. <laughs> so, so you have the four first ones, which is Tintumalev, Shvirsalev, Miriosalev, Psichsalev. Yeah, although it's really two nouns, the way it works is that the lave is the noun, and the other noun is kind of described. So basically, the other the other word is working as like an adjective. So it's the Timtum is the blocked, a heart that is blocked. Shreer is a heart that is broken. Maruir is a heart that is bitter. Pasicha Salev is a heart that is open. How do you translate Tuvlev Vav? Goodness of the heart. What, what was th- what's Tuvlev What's the noun? What's the adjective? It's yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Two. I mean, two is the noun. Yeah. And lave is becomes an adjective. Isn't that crazy? What's that talking about? Your heart becomes what's describing Toiv. Oh, it's another computer. I made a picture of this from uh, from the uh, from the chatbot today. But what does that mean? What does that mean? That, that, that now your heart is describing good. First, your heart was blocked. Then your heart was broken. Then your heart was bitter. Now your heart's open. But now your heart is describing goodness. That's chesidus. That's called lishma. Why is it called Lishma? Why is it not called Lishmoi? For his sake. Why, why are you doing the mitzvah? You're doing it for God, yeah? You're doing it, you're doing it for him, yeah? Well, why do you call it Lishma? That's feminine. For the Neshama? Mm-hmm. For the Neshama? Neshama is... You're for your Neshama? That's not very selfless. So you know... The neshama wants to serve Hashem. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be not a hundred percent accurate here because we're not. Talk, we're talking about the the lower levels of the neshama. That if we're zeicher to, it wants to serve Hashem. You know why it wants to serve Hashem? Because it wants to become. It wants to come close to Hashem. It wants to do rots and Hashem. It it wants to do mitzvahs because it wants to do rots and Hashem. That sounds very holy, yeah? But Halavai, we should be wanting to do mitzvahs because Hashem wants us to do mitzvahs more than reward and punish, all that kind of stuff, yeah? But that's not Lishma. Wanting to do a mitzvah because that's Ratz and Hashem is a high level, but that's not what Hasidus is. That's not what Hasidus is interested in. We're going to explain. 
you know, you know the story that began the whole Panini Satoya? Who who brought down Panini Satoya for the world? You remember? I'm sure I'm very okay. Yeah. You remember the story that began that began the whole thing? It's a story in Shabbos. Okay. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shimon were sitting there schmoozing. And I have that here. Yeah. Pass up Rabbi Yehuda, Ba'ama. Rabbi Yehuda said, Come and not in Ma'asayim Umazoi. Look how lovely the actions of this nation talking about Rome are. Look how wonderful the things they're doing are. Tiknu Shvakim, they made uh, marketplaces. Tiknu Gisharim, they made bridges. Tiknu Machatsois, they made bathhouses. He's Monash Gavaldi. Yeah, Rabbi Yossi Shasa, Rabbi Yossi Rishtum. Yeah? Listen to this. Nana Rabbi Shimon. These words that we're about to hear are everything. Nana Rabbi Shimon. Ben Yochai, the Omar. Rabbi Shimon Ben Yochai answered and said, Komasha Tiknu, everything that they would masakin. Lloyd Tiknu Elin at Atzman. They didn't do it for anything other than themselves. Tiknu Shvakin, they made um, um, uh, marketplaces. Loishi ben Zoinus, to put their Zoinus. Yeah, Machatsois, Ladam ben Atzman, to bathhouses to pleasure themselves. Yeah, Gesharim, bridges, Lito mehem Meches, to take to take um, uh, taxes. Yudha ben Gerim, this guy called Yudha ben Gerim, the sipper div Rehem, he told their uh Malchus, he went and told this conversation to the to the uh to the to the authorities. Yeah, Amru, the authority says Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda, Sheila, who was who was Meshabechas, who praised us, Yisale, he's gonna get praised. Yosi, Shashosok, Rabbi Yosi, who uh, didn't say anything, Yegalil Tsipuri, he's getting uh, exiled to Tsipuri. Shimon Shigina, Rabbi Shimon, who was Megane, who, how do you say that? Not disgraced them, insulted them. Yeah, Yehoreg, he's to be killed. Ozul, who, Ubre, Rabbi Shimon and his son went. Tashri Bey Midrasha, they went and hid in the base Medrash. And then the story goes on that the wife was bringing them food and they were worried that they'd torture his wife and get find out where they are. They went to the cave. And the famous story, they were in the cave for 12 years. They wrote the Zohar Kodesh and all the Vahule. And then they came out and they burned people out, whatever. And then they went back for another year. You realize, and that was the whole, the whole Panemius Torah came from that little story. So really the whole Panemius Torah comes from two words. It comes from a hakpada, a intolerance for these two words. The Tzorich Atzman for their own sake. From that word, from those two words, from Rabbi Shimon's intolerance of doing things for ourselves, of anyone doing something for themselves, the whole thing, the whole Zoya came and then the Arizal came and then the Balshemtov came and the whole, that, that was the beginning of the whole thing. That's really the Shoresh, the foundation of the whole, of the whole game we're playing is an intolerance for Lutzorich Atzman, for self-service. Now, that's really what the Tuv Levav is talking about. The highest level, which is the fifth level, by the way, that's Mashiach. Mashiach is Oisius Chamesh, yeah? The fifth level. That's why they call it the quintessential. You've heard that term, the quintessential, so-and-so? The quintessence. So quint is five. It's from the Greeks. They had the same idea. The fifth level is the highest level. That's why Tuv Levav is the fifth level. That's the level of Yechida, the highest that we spoke about before. Remember, we have behavior, then we have emotions, then we have intellect, then we have will, then we have pleasure. Yeah, remember, we've spoken about that, the highest level pleasure. That's the Yechida. It's all the same thing. That's Mashiach, that's Chamish, Chamesh. And that's Tuv Levav, where you become the adjective. You become just a portal. You become a, a window for the Rabbonishon to come into his world. And that window is incredibly unique, beautifully unique. 
inspirationally unique. That's your personality and that's your, your money and your house and your kids and your education and your physiology and all of that. That's just the shape of the window, so to speak. And that has to be exactly the right shape, exactly how it needs to be. You're not, you're not denouncing an ounce of your individuality, not, not an, a milligram of your individuality. It's just that's what becomes the, the shame, so to speak. That's the adjective of what's flowing through, which is the Rabboni Shalem. That's really Hasidus. Now, I look, we could talk about this, for so, there's so much to talk about. But I want to just get to a, a very important point. Okay, we're going we're gonna to miss like half of the year that I planned, but okay. Um, what was the Baal Shem Tov's fascination with the simple folk? You've heard this before, yeah? Him, Rab Nachman, all the, all the big tzaddikim, it seems that they were like much more fond of like the very simple Pasha to Yidden than all the big Talmud Echachamim and tzaddikim. You've heard that before? No, it's it's you do it's you do that that it, it's what's pshat what what's that about? So I tell you, when I go to England, I was just in England a couple of weeks ago, and um, my the my where I grew up, I'm Balchula, so I grew up in a completely like secular place, and when I go back to England, my dad. My dad like goes to shul on a you know on Shabbos and and like he's part of the community, but it's not you know it's not like lechakila halachic Yiddishkeit, yeah. But it is a it's a United Synagogue shul. It's different like in America if they're not from it's like they're already like they it's like like the form like completely gone. But in England it's different where like they're lechakila shuls, but no one shoma Shabbos. Like just the rabbi is shoma Shabbos, but you could go and daven there without a problem. It's, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, they have this thing on a Sunday morning where they daven shachris with tefillin. They don't daven any other, they hit that Sunday morning in Shenley, they get together between 12 and 15 men, and I'm maybe one or two of them are shoma Shabbos, but they get together and they put on tefillin and they daven shachris. And it's mummish a joke. You'll see it, yeah? The, the guys, the, you know, Tefillin's over here. He forgot to put in his arm to fill in. It's like, you know, it's just, it's so funny. And when I went there the first time, I was like, you know, kind of imagine how you'd be, you know, Nebuch, look at these, yeah. And then I started to realize something very deep. And I remembered a story from my Rebbe. That's a very special story that I'll tell you right now. He said during COVID, during COVID, um, I can't remember the first, second year, it was a lockdown, yeah, over Pesach time. Um, and um, I hope it was the second year. I don't know. And uh, a guy in New York called my Rebbe, told him this story afterwards that he was milling around the house and it was getting, it was coming to evening time, completely secular guy. And he bumped into a calendar, or so I don't know how, yeah, but he saw that tonight was Leil Seder, Pesach. Tonight was Pesach, completely secular. And he uh, he just got, it came over him, like, got to do something. Like, his family's away, he can't go anywhere, he's locked down, he's got no matzah, house full of chomets, but you, you can't not do something on Leo Seder. So he told my Rebbe that he um, he basically went to the cupboard, like, plutzing for some matzah, couldn't find any matzah. He found three rice bread, three like rice bread crackers, yeah? And he said, like, it, like from a distance, it looked a bit more like matzah than bread, yeah? So he took out three rice cakes, yeah? And he found an old Haggadah, an old bottle of probably trafe wine. And um, he did the four cups and he made a Seder. And um, he he said to my Rebbe that he felt that someone was mummish listening. He said it was very strange because he felt that someone was listening to the Seder. And my Rebbe, this is even a bit that I said I was going to cry about. <laughs> my Rebbe said that that's, that was for sure the most Heiliger Seder of 
in in the world on that year. Why? Because it was a Jew. It was the Jewishness in a person wanting to express itself. And then I realized that this minion. Wow. I was like, wow, this is amazing. These men are not religious people. Bichlau. What are you doing putting on to fill in on a Sunday morning at 7.30? Why aren't you in bed with everybody else? It's cold. It's horrible. Why are you in shul with to fill in? You don't even know what you're doing. You can't read the siddha. What are you doing? You hear what's going on there? That's Yiddishkeit. That's a neshama mamash. That's a Shem expressing himself through a person. That's not a religious person. So I said that when I finished, when I cut this, and I immediately was humbled from being like Paro to being like Moshe. I was being so arrogant, thinking, look at these idiots, to being in awe of the Shechina Kedosh Mamash. So in the, in the, when we sat down and they had the bagels and stuff afterwards, I said this to them. And I said, look, I, there's no kun. I daven. I'm, I'm religious. Religious people daven. Yeah, that's what we do. That's what religious people do. But you guys aren't religious. So you're really seeing, you're seeing the Rabbonu shining through you because you've got no reason to be doing it otherwise. It's not coming from any kind of reason. In fact, you could probably give me 20 reasons why you shouldn't be doing this. So, so, um, Just the irony is that was two weeks ago and not this Shabbos, but the Shabbos before that, just, for, I, I don't know why. I, I usually spend Shashus in my house. Just out of nowhere, it popped into my head. I'm going to go to the, like, I live in, I live in the middle of Jerusalem with all the, I'm with all the big, you know, with all the big boys, all the, all the Siddiquim and the big Hasidices and the big Oiv De Hashem. And I decided I was just going to go to the, a big place in Jerusalem that's big, avoid us Hashem, you know, screaming and 20, you know, like a, you know, a six hour shachris on Shabbos and, you know, a, a big avoiders, you know. And I, I don't know what, and I got, I went there. And the week before I was in Shemli, yeah, in where my parents were in this minion with like 13 irreligious Jews with tefillin all over the place and, you know, and, I felt it was much holier in Shenley because people weren't trying to be religious. In fact, the opposite. They didn't want to be religious at all. They weren't religious and they were putting on to fill in. They were praying and they were saying Kriya Shema. And in this place that I was at, and I'm not judging people and whatever, but it's so much harder to be real when you're trying to play the part of the from Jew. You know what I'm saying? It gets in the way. It really gets in the way. So this really, what I'm going to tell you now, this is really what what um, what Hasidus really is. How long have you guys been married? Almost 20 years. <laughs> almost I'm, 15 years. I'm almost 20 years well. When, when's your anniversary? Uh, Zion Adar. Oh, just now. You're going to have your 20th anniversary if you... Yes. Oh well, okay. So we're we're um Yudzain Sivan. So basically the same thing. Anyway, it, but and 15 years old. I, I'm right now, I think after being married for 20 years, I think that I have an inkling, a teeny inkling into what it might might, might mean to be married 60 years. A teeny inkling, yeah. No, after being married 10 years, no clue. Five years, definitely not. But 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 now after 20 years, I think, and especially hearing my Rebbe speak about it a lot, yeah? So listen to this. You see an old couple sitting there. He's reading the paper. She's knitting. They've been married 60 years. There's no fireworks. There's probably no physical relationship left as well. Like, you know. Um, and... They they're not they don't need to make conversation with each other. There's they've gone be, they're beyond everything. You with me? They're 
they're mamash one. They're mamash one. They can sit there, one of them can read the paper, one of them can do the knitting, but they're mamash one. We're right, right now, we're still in the thick of the relationship. So we're building the relationship and there's the physical aspect and then there's the, the talking and the smoothing things out and the getting through the issues and the, the, the compromising and the giving and, the, and you know, we're still in the throes of the relationship, yeah? But when you get to that age, if you're Zoycha, after being married for 60 years, you've gone beyond everything. There's no experience even. It's gone so beyond experience. There's no like passionate... Do you know what I'm saying? It's not like the, the, the passionate love of a young couple or anything like that. It's so much holier than that. It's so much more real than that. You with me? You can just imagine, like, you can't, we can't leave. That's what I'm saying. You can have an inkling of an, you know, 20 years is a long time. 15 years is also a long time. You can have an inkling. Do you understand what I'm saying? But, 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 but we don't know what it really is. But there's one thing for sure. It's completely beyond experience. It's not an experience. You can't describe to somebody your, your relationship with your wife of 60 or your husband of 60 years is. <laughs> you can't describe that to someone. It's like, it's like, you know, I don't know if you've mentioned this before, but when you sit there, I've come in many times with my wife sitting there on the couch with one of her kids in sitting there reading a book yeah you've had the experience many times yeah you're sitting there it's warm there's no distractions just you and one of the kids or two of the kids and you sit there with the book there they're within your arms they're mummish in you yeah and you turn around to the kid yeah and you're like show me tell me what does that feel like well, what does it feel like no like, leave me alone i'm just i'm enjoying my time i'm just I'm with mummy. Leave me alone. What do you, what you want? If you pulled mummy away at that point, the kid would scream. But the, the relation, the connection is so much deeper than any kind of experience. It's a, it's a real oneness. It's a real oneness. That's what the Barshanta brought to the world. That's what opened up. We, our relationship has, has matured. We not, like, do you remember we spoke about those ants? Last, last week, a couple of weeks ago, about those termites that make that tremendous thing. So one of the things I don't know, I don't think I did mention, is that one, to build those buildings takes like about five or six years, yeah? Each termite only lives about 30 days. So not only do the termites operate as one organism right now, like how we can relate to every Jew, like, you know, I'm an eye, you're a nose, he's a brain, she's a heart, she's a toe, he's a finger. We can imagine that as every Jew, yeah? But also, time-wise, we're one. The Havdil, like the, like the, the, the uh, termites, are operating not just as one right now with the million and a half termites, but one over time with the few hundred million termites over the period of however many years. That's that's Am Yisrael as well. We're not just one as, an, as a nation right now. We're one as a nation right now, coupled with as a nation as we were. So Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov are still alive in us. It's like, well, where, where were you when you were five years old? You're still here. There's the five-year-old somewhere in there. It's matured and developed, etc. It's not like it's not there. Your part of who you are is what you were when you were five, etc. Part of who you are is what you were when you were 15, when you were 30. So we are now at the end of the relationship. We've gone through all of the madragas with the Rabbeinu Shloylem. And that's what it means, lishma. Lishma means transcending the level of the neshama, or at least the created levels of the neshama, really attaching yourself to essence of the neshama. Lishma is feminine, yeah? Which means for the sake of the mitzvah. You with me? Not for God's sake, for the sake of the mitzvah. The neshama does the mitzvah because it's Ratzon Hashem. So who is, whose is the mitzvah? 
It's God's. Why are you doing it? Because he wants that. Lishma is when you've transcended that level and you've become one with Rabbi to the point where the mitzvah, you're actually doing it the shame mitzvah. Like the Rabboni Shlolem doesn't want it because it's his Ratzon. He wants the mitzvah. That's where we're, that's what's available to us now. I mean, I could talk about this for a, a lot longer, but the lowliness of our situation, the fact that we can't muster up any Ava in Yira, the fact that Gashmias is so appealing nowadays, more than it ever was, the fact that there's so much confusion and so many other things pulling us this way and that way and bukhule, bukhule, all of that is part of the package that allows us now to do the mitzvah, the shame mitzvah. So I'll finish very quickly. We have another two minutes. Yeah, can very I quickly. ask a question? Sorry? Can I ask a question? Sure. Am I being heard? Yeah. Okay. Um, just back to what I one or not? Sorry? You want to turn on your camera? Doesn't have to. Um, how do I do it? I don't mind. I, I'm just not so familiar here. Um it'll click on the left. This? There you go. Oh, that's yeah. me. Yeah. Am I being heard? Yeah. Okay. No, just back to what you said before. I mean, it was beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, and I thank my sister for schlepping me onto this. Who's I just have time today, Mrs. Silver. Yeah. Sisters. Oh. yeah. Oh. Um, okay. Um, so just back to what you said before about the marriage piece with a spark. It was beautiful, and I really appreciated that piece. The marriage uh, piece with the spark, would you say? You said that the older couple, you don't have see that spark and oh, that yeah, like, yeah, yeah, excitement. Yeah. Yeah. Because they already transcended that and it's so holy. Um, you know, today's day, so many times we see um, people that want to um, talk about marriage or courses and all these kind of things. And so many times they advertise and they express themselves like, keep the spark alive or how to keep the spark alive. And I always wonder about that. Is it a secular, um, is it a secular phenomena that this like spark that like, that newness, that like high level of excitement rather than the familiar familiarity that we have and that like that like we the oneness rather than the spark. Is it like a secular notion to advertise or like even the thought of like, hmm, I don't have that spark anymore. How do I run after that? You heard you were here at the beginning, we spoke about etsem and shame. Yes, like yes. And name. Right. That's it. That's the that's the idea. Mm -hmm. The essence is beyond all experience. The essence is so much, so much more holy than experience. But there's a lot to shame. There's a lot to name. That's important. So there yeah. is, there is that, and and the way we get to essence is through name. So keeping a spark alive. It depends on which context you're talking about. Yeah, but the, but definitely in where we're holding in out. You know, when we're we're not old, we're not an old couple right now. There needs to be that. There does need to be that that the mm. externality as well. There does, but it's not. But but the and it depends on everybody. But but that's what not really what marriage is about. Really, marriage is about the merging of two into one, and that's mm. beyond all experience. And mm. and it's and it's it's annoying for us because you know it it says Rahmana Liba boy yeah she wants the heart. So what people think that means is that it means you have to be like you know put all your energy into the mitzvahs yeah that's what it means some people are like like some people like that yeah and other people are much more ragua, much more chilled out and 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 you see that in work you see like the or like you know you've got people like uh elon musk and uh you know like these big businessmen who like work you know 22 hours a day and sleep two hours and they're like this the whole time yeah and you've got like people like jeff bezos the who like they, yeah, they sleep eight hours a night and they take it very easy and everything's, you know, and it just kind of worked out the way it worked out. And you've got you've got these different temperaments, yeah? So when it means Rahman Lieber boy, it means Hashem wants you. And what people think is, well, I have to be like this. If I'm not like, because that that's that looks, that looks the part, you understand? But that, you have to be you. So some people are just very easygoing and, by some people, there's no sparks, there's no fire in their life. They're very water people. 
And then you've got other people who are like passionate and like that, yeah? So, so the problem is that we think that we need to be these passionate like that kind of people where maybe you're a very fluid, you know, easygoing water person and that isn't for you. So that's, I think, that, that idea of the spark, that, that, that could be so different by different relationships. If, if you and your husband are very kind of water people, that's going to look very different to if you and your husband are very kind of fire people. It's just going to look very different. But all of that is just the externals. The real, the marriage is really the, the merging of the of the of the essence of the two of you. And 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 that doesn't mean that the old couple can't sit there and you know look into each other's eyes and go, Oh, I love you so much, you're gorgeous, or hold hands. And it doesn't mean they can't do that. But but you, you hear the point, what the point yeah, we're trying to thank get. You. That's where we're with now with Raboyna Shoilam. That's what's available to us. That's the avoider available to us. So I'm going to just finish on this very, very holy story. I haven't got time, but I'm going to do this anyway. That the this in Pashas Baloischa, when Aaron Akoin goes in to light the menorah, yeah? And it says, Vayaschein Aaron. The Pasuk says, and Aaron did so. And Rashi says that he was no Shin He wasn't, he didn't. He didn't um, deviate from the halacha. And that was the shevach of Aaron. The praise of Aaron was that he didn't deviate from the malacha, from the, from the halacha. You're like, what? Aaron, okay, he did, oh, great. He like, he lit Shabbos candles, you know, pardon me, he lit them on time. He didn't light them after Shkia. That's the shevach of Aaron, Akoyen. yeah? He lit two candles and not one candle. Like why is that the why is that the Sheva? Why is that the praise of Aaron that he didn't didn't deviate from the halacha? You hear the question? So imagine there's a tzaddik who lives near where I live called Shima Zilberberg. Yeah. If you ever see him, I mean I've seen him on Hashana Rabba. Sheikh Lulav Nesuk, yeah. He comes out after we waited for hours. He comes out covered in talus with his Lulav Nesuk. So you just see hands. With little Vanessa organ just covered with a talus. He's just standing there. You start to hear like sobbing, deep sobbing. You don't know where to put yourself because it's real. You, you have no idea what to do. And then you just start seeing tears, drip like a pool of tears, just dripping. And you, you see that his his talus is stuck to his head from sweat. And you, it's just like you're looking at the most intimate. You don't even want to look. It's so intimate. Yeah. Thank God he's got his talus covered over his head. And then he he breaks the literally he breaks the lulav. They have to give him a new lulav each direction. Yeah, but I never saw him. But people say on by 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 the end of Rosh Hashanah, he's just on the floor like like convulsing, sweated all the way through. Yeah, imagine he had to light the menorah in the kodesh. He had to go into the base of Migdash and light the menorah. Imagine what that would look like. It would be carnage. There'd be like broken glass and oil everywhere. He'd be like on the corner on fire, like shaking with the menorah on the floor, like, you know, blood and fire and water and and and, and shemen. Yeah. You think Aaron Akoyan had any less emotional intensity than Sumai or Sumai Zilberberg? So this is this is what the Lubavitch Rebbe said that this mitzvah was the only mitzvah that he could think of where it could have been that your emotional relationship to the mitzvah would share the Maisa mitzvah. Because the mitzvah of the menorah was such a fine, you had to do the psilus perfectly, everything very like fine motor, can't think of the word, what's the word? Like um, very precise, precision kind of avoiders, yeah? And he's like, burning with fire with with love and fear of god yeah you try and do that when you're like burning with yeah that was the shevach of aaron akoyim that in this very bizarre scenario where his ava and yira his love and fear would have messed up the actual mitzvah he was able to put the ava and the yira to the side and just do the maisa mitzvah exactly how it was meant to be done that was the shevach of Aaron Akoyan. So that sounds very nice. But what's about what about me? I've got no Av, I've got no Yira. What am I putting to the side? Yeah. It's like a nice vote for Aaron. So the vote is that you're right. 
we hardly have any Ava and Yira. And if we do have any Ava and Yira, it's definitely not enough to share the mitzvah. Definitely not. It's only It only enhances the mitzvah. But we have all these other things that we can put to the side. Ulterior motives. Forget Oilam Haba and Gehenim. Forget all that stuff. But what about, I want to be close to God? Or I want to, I want to have meaning in my life. I want to have spirituality. All of these other things, yeah? Those you can put to the side. And you can just do the Maisa Mitzvah. That's the Bechina of Aaron Akoyim. That's the Avoida of the Tzaddik Gamor. Of the Bnei Eliyah. That is the Avoida of the Chassid. Not that you would be serving Hashem without Avonira, but in our generation where there's hardly any Avonira left, if we can just put the stuff to the side, like those Jews in Shemli with the tefillin all over the place, and that that man in in um, in in New York with the with the rice bread for for the seder, yeah, that's mummish the relationship. That's the old that's the old couple sitting there. There's no fanfare. There's no fireworks. There's no experience. There's just the oneness, mummish. That's 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 where we're so. That's where we're holding. We should be Zoycha. Should be Zoycha. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that we don't serve Hashem with Avonira. But that just means that in the in the 95% of the times when we don't have any Avonira, remember that Hashem has manufactured it to be that way. That you're not Chasa. You're now Zoycha to essence, Mamash. That the Rabbi Sholem can do a mitzvah through you, Mamash. And you're doing it for the shame mitzvah. And then you become that's 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 a revelation of our unity now with Rabbi Shalom. We're in a very 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 special uh, special takufa in of reality right now. We're right at the end of the whole picture, and we're we're like that elderly couple with Rabbi Shalom. Like we said, that doesn't mean that you you know it doesn't mean that you can't hold hands and look into each other's eyes. It doesn't mean that at all. But it means that the oneness is still there, even if you're reading the paper and she's doing the sewing. Or, the knitting is still there. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.